Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for today's podcast is James Tierney, former Attorney General of the State of Maine and currently director of the National State Attorneys General Program at Columbia University and an individual with tremendous experience in how the law might be applied to various areas, including health. So, Jim, welcome. Glad to have you here. Great to be here, Kelly. So let's start off by talking about the uh, maybe an overview quickly of the, the role that the state attorneys general might play in the health arena in general, and then maybe we can talk about tobacco in particular. But I don't think most people think about the AGs as a group that necessarily would deal with health-related issues. Well, no, they, no they, they wouldn't, Kelly. And frankly, most people... Um uh, aren't sure what an attorney general is. It's kind of a, a mystery place. It sits somewhere between the district attorney who does the day-to-day -day criminal prosecutions and the United States Attorney's General's Office where we have an appointed attorney general who prosecutes federal law. State attorneys general are elected. They're, uh, they're independent officials. They're independent from the governor. They're independent from the federal government. They're independent from the district attorney. And so their job is to do the chief law enforcement for the state? Yeah, they're, they're, they have many jobs. I mean, uh, the primary job is one we don't see, which is to defend the state when the state gets sued. And we don't get a lot of headlines about that unless somebody makes a mistake. Um, but in that capacity, the attorney general will, will give day-to-day -day legal advice to the State Department of Health. So if the State Department of Health want, is thinking about issuing a warning or making a press statement or presenting a bill to the legislature, then the attorney general is somewhere behind the scenes probably helping them do that. So let's talk about tobacco in particular. So about half the people are smoking in the United States than was true several decades ago, and that has been declared one of the greatest public health victories of the last century. The attorneys general were a real player in yes. this, and, I, and you were a real player when you were attorney general in Maine, and one of the first I know to get into this topic. So you have a wealth of experience that you could share. So could you tell us a little bit about that history, and what, what was it first that made the attorneys general believe they should get involved in this issue? Well, the reason the attorneys general got involved is that no one else would. I mean, it's just simple. Um, there was a significant spike in the early 90s in youth smoking. Junior high school kids were smoking. Uh, every high school had a smoking spot behind the school, and no one seemed to think anything wrong with that. Our movie theaters, our restaurants were filled with people smoking, things that are so hard to even you know, remember, much less realize that that's the way it was. And the tobacco industry kept telling the big lie. The big lie was, well, tobacco may not be great for you, but science is divided, uh, and who knows, really, and we should all be able to make our own choices. And it was, uh, it was a huge lie. And then they were marketing to kids, and they were lying about that, too. So this should have been resolved by legislation and taxation. No question about it, but the tobacco industry had everything lobbied up pretty tight, so that wasn't going to happen. So the attorneys general went out and one by one sued the tobacco industries. He started with Mississippi and then Minnesota, and then it grew. Uh, Massachusetts and Connecticut were early uh, sewers on that. Uh, Connecticut Attorney General Dick Blumenthal was one of the real leaders and was on the negotiating team when we finally settled the case. So there was um, a lot of movement, and state by state, and finally— the truth came out, um, and guess what? Tobacco is bad for you, and the tobacco companies were lying. Um, but it took litigation to prove that uh, uh, to, the, to the general public. And once the lie was taken care of, 
Then city councils and states could pass no-smoking laws and increase taxes. But the lie had to be dealt with first. So what particularly did the, did the state attorneys general sue for? I mean, what did they claim? The, there were two primary theories. The first was that all of us as taxpayers were subsidizing the tobacco industry uh, through the, the, the harm caused. Uh, the people would get cancer, and then Medicaid would come in and have to pay. Taxpayer dollars have to pay to take care of people in their last years when they become impoverished. So that was one theory. We were trying to get that money back. And the other was the lie itself. I mean, you're not allowed to lie in the marketplace. It's a violation of the Unfair Trade and Deceptive Practices Act. And so those two legal theories were the ones that were pursued by the attorneys general against the tobacco industry. So you talked about the states getting interested in this, and then the end result is that action got taken, and then cities began doing their own things, et cetera. A tremendous amount happened in between those two things, I know, and there are a lot of battle scars and war stories and things like that to be told. What do you think are some of the more important and interesting features of that that fight that the AGs waged against tobacco? The the question I think you're asking is, what lessons have we learned? And are those lessons from a decade ago applicable to today? Well, the first is that the attorneys general step in when no one else will. Now, if the federal government, the Congress, had regulated tobacco through the Food and Drug Administration, which they finally are getting about doing a dozen years later, um, then you, AGs wouldn't have done this. There's plenty of other things for an attorney general to do. We've got drug abuse. We've got gang problems. Uh, you know, we have schools that don't function appropriately. So the attorney general had to kind of deal with that because no one else could or was willing to do it, and that's why they fell into that category with litigation and that's why they were in the lead and and uh, it was also a surprise to the tobacco industry they thought they'd had everybody else wrapped up and uh, then all of a sudden these attorneys general started coming in after them and they, they they really didn't have a good strategy for it so how could it be that they had legislators wrapped up as you're saying and so it took the federal government many years to do anything on this but the AGs were in a position to do something. What makes that happen? Well, the AGs are, are a funny bunch. Um, there's a culture within the Office of Attorney General uh, towards action. If you become Attorney General, you want to do something. Um, and with all due respect to the state legislators and the lieutenant governors and the secretary of state and the state treasurer, a lot of people don't run or get into those jobs saying, I'm going to go out there and do something. They usually kind of just run for it, you know. Um, Whereas the attorney general really has a culture towards action. And secondly, the attorney general can act by him or herself. I mean, the governor or legislator always needs to bring along, you know, the majority of the legislature or the Senate or, you know, the, uh, the budget issues. Attorneys general didn't have that problem. They said, let's go. And then, then, the third factor is that the attorneys general are very close to each other across state lines. Um, I think it's safe to say that most attorneys general spend more time with their colleagues from other states than they do with uh, a lot of their closest friends back home. There are a lot of meetings, a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls, and that builds a sense of camaraderie and trust that goes across state lines because, after all, regardless of their political party, they're there to enforce the law, and they take the responsibility very seriously.
So one of the one of the major outcome of the lawsuits against the tobacco industry was the master settlement agreement. Can you explain what that was? Well, there was a you know the the the, the cases started to go south after a while. I mean they were tough legal cases, so the states needed to negotiate the settlement. The tobacco industry needed peace. They were getting clamored. Their stock price was down. I don't I don't think they showed any. A few of the individuals showed remorse, but most of them it's about money, corporations and. They were getting hammered in their stock price. So every, so there was a settlement, and like any settlement, there were good things and bad things. Uh, the good things was a, a tremendous increase in, in the cost of cigarettes, which has driven down usage significantly. Um, and, and, and the truth uh, came out. Uh, the tobacco industry had to admit that they'd done these things. And, you know, once you've admitted that you've been trying to sell tobacco to kids, you know, it's a little hard to have anybody believe you about anything else. So that opened the doors for other things. There were bad things about the Master Settlement Agreement. It's bureaucratic. It's a mess. It puts some of the states in league with the tobacco industry in a sense because in order to continue to get their payments, people have to keep selling cigarettes. Um, Some of the states wasted their money. They securitized it. They basically sold the, the revenue stream off in bonds and then spent it all. I mean, Wisconsin spent it all in one year, their whole portion, because they had a governor who was... Uh, just a you know, terrible governor. He was defeated, but in the, before he went out the door, he wasted the whole tobacco stream of money, so Wisconsin's back to ground zero. So there were a lot of mistakes in the Master Settlement Agreement. It's far from perfect. Most of us wish it didn't exist. Most of us wish you could just start today with regulation and taxation, but it is what it is. You said that one key feature of this is that the truth came out about the tobacco industry practices, and if I understand correctly, that happened through the discovery process. Can you explain what that means? Well, to discovery means it, it, once you file a lawsuit and get past the initial motions to dismiss, both sides have the chance to get inside and find out what really went on. And so the attorneys general were able to get the internal emails, the internal sales plans, the internal documents from the tobacco industry who had tried to hide it because they sent all their documents over to their law firms and said it's attorney-client privilege, which was preposterous uh, because there's a crime-fraud exception to the attorney-client privilege. And and so the attorneys general had to go to the United States Supreme Court to to win that one. But when we did and all the documents started to come out, tobacco industry said we, we, we have to quit here because even if the legal theories that the states aren't uh, pushing are, are going to prevail uh, in front of juries – uh, we cannot sustain as a company all of our internal uh, records uh, coming out into the general uh, light of day. And so um, that is, had a huge impact on it, finding out what actually happened. Now, that had to be done by litigation because, frankly, neither the Clinton administration or the Bush administration wanted to use their authority to find out. There was political influence brought to bear, and they didn't look. Um, so if, if the president, had uh, either president, had decided they wanted to find out what was going on in the tobacco industry or the Congress, if they wanted to call public hearings um, and get to the bottom of it, th- that could have worked just as well as the litigation. But they failed to have the courage to do so, and so it was the attorneys general and no one, and so the AGs did the job. So you're making an important point that the states have a very special role in the national view of this because if the federal government's not acting as it potentially could, then the states have a role they can play, and that 
because the attorneys general work well together and are a close group, as you said, that something that starts in one place could spread readily to others. Am I understanding right? You understand completely correctly, and the states are kind of a counterweight to the federal government. Now, listeners out there may think that this is inherently liberal or inherently conservative, and trust me, it is not. So during the Bush administration, the Democratic attorneys general were very successful, with some Republican support, in suing the Bush administration over global warming, over tobacco, over drug safety, pharmaceutical safety, all kinds of things. Well, now that President Obama's the president, we're finding Republican attorneys general uh, filed a lawsuit just recently saying that uh, global warming, that's all a hoax. That, that doesn't exist. That's a figment of somebody's imagination. Now, that seems to me to be totally preposterous, but you are seeing states acting again as a counterweight to uh, initiatives from the federal government. So on what basis do the states sue the federal government? Is for not upholding their authority or behaving in a reasonable way? What's the Well, I've been, I've been a lawyer for a long time, and if, 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 you know, if a lawyer really wants to get creative, they're going to find a way to be able to bring a lawsuit. Uh, I don't mean to, by that to say that the lawsuits are spurious or, or without foundation, but there are legal theories, um, and usually you're going in with interest groups. So, for example, to use the global warming example, the states uh, went in against the Bush administration with the Sierra Club on the same side. And so now when these states are suing against the global warming, they're going in with the coal industry and the oil industry. So you usually go in together, and the states, however, have more credibility than any interest group because, of course, they represent the public interest of the citizens of their state in the opinion of whoever is the attorney general. Very interesting. Well, thank you, Jim, for joining us today. This is a fascinating um, uh, inquiry into what the attorneys general can do related to health. And we'll be recording another podcast momentarily on how this might apply to diet nutrition issues in particular. So, again, thank you very much. Thanks, Kelly. It's, a lot of this is very counterintuitive, but uh, if you hang in there, there, is a, there, is a, there are some rules of the game. You just have to study them. That sounds good. Uh, today's guest was James Tierney, director of the National State Attorneys General Program at Columbia University Law School and also former Attorney General of Maine. Please visit our website at www.yalerudcenter.org for a variety of resources, including a list of the other excellent podcasts that we've recorded. Thank you.